everyone. Welcome back to Kate's Corner. I'm your host, Kate Cannon. And as always, I'm excited to be recording this episode. But today in particular, I am thrilled because I have our first ever major guest on the podcast. She is an amazing author, but an even more incredible person. And I am thrilled to announce that Ayana Gray is joining me today. Hello. Hi. Thank you again for joining me today. This is such a privilege because I love reading books and you are a truly gifted author. So thank you so much. Wanted to start off with a couple questions. I have them written down, but they're kind of out of order. So I'm going to go all over the place. My first question for you is what was it like for you the first time someone recognized you as being the author of Beast of Prey and Beast of Ruin? Like, how did you feel when you knew that someone was recognizing you for your work? Oh, um, it, it was surreal. I think I was like, oh my gosh, are you a paid actor? <laughs> it was, it was uh, really unbelievable because for a long time, Beasts of Prey and all of my stories were just kind of secret things on, on my laptop that not a lot of people knew about. So the idea of people actually knowing the books and recognizing them and then recognizing me as their author is just kind of wild. That's so cool. I mean, I can't imagine the idea of like having had this thing I was working on for so long and then suddenly it's out in the world and like people know you because you've created this thing that inspires others. Like, I think that's so, so amazing. Getting used to it. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, I can imagine that's true. The next thing I wanted to ask you is, cause I guess this is, you know, pretty big for you now. How do you feel about the fact that the story you created is being adapted into a film by Netflix? Um, it, It's hard to put into words, honestly. Um. I, I constantly have this feeling that I'm going to wake up from some sort of wild dream that's just been going on for a while. Um, for a long time, my dream was to finish a book. And then it was, well, maybe it would be cool to publish a single book. And then it'd be cool to publish more than one book. And then the ultimate dream, like the big, big dream was, well, it would be really cool for my books to be adapted into film. And now that's happened. And it's, I'm, I'm finding myself having to dream a little bit bigger now, <laughs> which is, which is nice. Um, but I'm so excited. There's a lot of uh, really positive energy and enthusiasm with, um, with the team that is working on the adaptation. So I feel really, I'm really excited about it. That's really awesome. Are you getting to be involved and like hands-on with the production process at all? Or do you get to know anything about casting and things like that? I know you can't share that with me, but do you have access to those things? Yeah, so I am an executive producer on the project, which I feel like sounds fancier than it is. Um, I have some consultation power and I've gotten to look at the script and had some discussions with the producers and with the screenwriter about the heart of the story and what's most important to me as this adaptation comes to life. Um, but I don't make any major decisions. Like I don't get to pick the, the cast. I get asked that a lot. Um, I don't necessarily get to get to direct. And I'm okay with that because my my mentality is everybody has talents. Everybody has their gift, their thing that they're good at. I'm a writer. I, I tell stories. I am not a film person. Um, so my knowledge, my expertise is super limited. And I would rather defer to people who have the training and the expertise and know what they're doing. And I appreciate when they reach out to me and, and ask me for advice and consultation but um there's a there's a letting go process when you're a creator there's a time when the project belongs to just you and you're creating it and it's just you and that project and then at some point whether you're an artist or a musician or an actor or a writer there's a point where you let go um and the project becomes kind of it belongs to the world 
And it's, I think it's really healthy to let go and, and be okay with other people taking your project and taking your art and interpreting it differently than maybe you would have. And that's, that's okay. So I think that's really neat that you still get to have, like, you get to be consulted here and there, but that also you're allowing other people to take your story and like mold it into something, you know, for film. I think that's really interesting, but also very cool of you to allow people to have that access to the thing that you've created and now to turn it into something more. That's really neat. My next question for you is kind of about you, kind of about the book. I wanted to ask if you feel that you've incorporated any parts of your personality or your life into your characters in the books. Yeah, I think I put a little bit of myself into almost all of my characters. And for most fiction writers, it's I think it's impossible not to put small pieces of yourself in a story or into your art, whether you intend to or not. Like, as I was writing, I wasn't thinking about it. But then in retrospect after I had finished, you know, the story and was, was looking back, I, I was like, oh, wow, there's a ton of, there are a ton of pieces of me that I didn't even realize as I was subconsciously putting into the story. So um, with Ekon, he is a boy who has a lot of anxiety about the future and about living up to family expectation. And I certainly felt that when I was his age, 17. Um, you know, I, it's not really a secret. I love animals. I love mythical creatures. And so writing Beasts of Prey, writing a story about a girl who's a beast keeper at a magical zoo was a lot of wish fulfillment for kid me that like wished I could be a zookeeper or a beast keeper. Um, you know, I think some of the fears that Kofi and Ekon had um, as they go through the, the jungle and the insecurity because they're going through their first crushes, et cetera. Um, I think, uh, sorry. Um, I think, yeah, those are all pieces of especially who I was when I was 17 uh, that have kind of made their way into the story again. Not not me consciously choosing to do it, but just kind of subconsciously through the process of creating. I think that's one of the most amazing things about writing those, the way that you don't even realize that you're necessarily putting yourself into it. But like you're saying, you look back in retrospect and you see pieces of yourself in the story. I think that's really neat. And I also think what you're saying about Ekon with wanting to live up to your parents, your families, you know, your elders' expectations. I think that's really prevalent for likely a lot of the readers who are taking in your stories. I think, you know, for, at least for the teenage and young adult audience, a lot of us feel like we have these expectations where because our parents have provided us with something, we really want to be able to succeed and, you know, show them that what they did was worth it and that we can do that. But we also want to make them happy. We want to do it the way they want us to do it. And so mm -hmm. I think there's a lot with learning from your characters that you don't necessarily have to do it the way that someone else did it before. You can find your own path and you can do it your own way. And I think that's something really special that people can take away from your novels. I hope so. It's a very universal feeling, I think. Yes, I would agree with that 100%. Okay, so where I wanted to go next was how long did you spend researching African culture in order to build up the idea of the places in there and the people? So I have two degrees. Um, I graduated from the University of Arkansas Fulbright Honors College with a degree in political science and a degree in African and African-American studies. And in Beasts of Prey, which I call a pan-African fantasy, um, there are nods to a lot of the historical figures throughout the continent of Africa and also parts of the Caribbean and America um, that I learned about while I was getting my degree in African and African-American studies. I didn't get any any real knowledge in African mythologies, plural, until um, 
I was out of college and did, did the research on my own. Um, and it was kind of difficult actually to do that research because unlike other parts of the world, number one, a lot of African lore has been passed down orally. Um, so not a lot was written down until more recent times. And when it was written down, it was written down oftentimes by like cultural anthropologists who had their own biases. And obviously, um, were not native speakers of certain languages and had to do their best work, you know, their best to translate. Um, so I looked at a lot of scholarly articles. There might have been implicit bias. Right. I mean, it took me, I would say, a solid year to kind of compile that research. But um, I'm honestly, I'm, I'm constantly collecting, like constantly looking up new stories, buying new books and kind of adding to the knowledge base that I have. I think that's really neat because one of my favorite things about your books is the African terminology that you use in them. I mean, I'm sure I'm butchering the names half the time and I feel really bad about that because I don't know how to pronounce them. But I think, you know, the the names are really cool, but also the stories behind them are cool. The time you've put into crafting the gods and goddesses and their stories and how they connect to Ekon and Kofi. Like, I think that's so Cool. And that's sort of what drives my interest in the books is because it's not only about the, the characters, but it's also about the culture. And I think that that's really unique and interesting. Thank you. But a lot of the language I'll say is to pray Swahili. And that's because um, my name, Ayana, is a Swahili name. Um, and growing up, I, I didn't get made fun of for my name, but it was definitely a name that people couldn't pronounce, didn't know how to spell. And that made me feel badly about my name at times. And so I wanted to celebrate the language that my name has come from because as I've gotten older I've um, learned to really appreciate that you know maybe it's not the most common name in the world but it has its own meaning it means blossoming flower and I'm proud of that um, and I haven't seen much fantasy that borrowed from languages on the African continent so I think that's really cool I have not either I've seen you know there's a lot of romance books that will incorporate Spanish or French because those are the romance languages but you don't see as much of the less common languages in books so I love that you're able to incorporate that into the stories um yeah. and I'm certainly not the only oh, oh go ahead Sorry. no 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 go ahead you can finish what you're saying I was just saying I I don't I don't want to at all pretend that I'm the only one there are lots of authors who are doing this, who are telling stories um, and bringing certain mythologies and languages that aren't, we don't see as much in fantasy, uh, you know, to the forefront. I just wanna be part of this movement of authors who are who are adding and, and kind of expanding what we think of when we think of fantasy. Which I think is totally valid because so often I feel like historically with literature and even until recently, like young adult novels, fan fiction, even things like that, it's mostly white characters. You're not seeing as many people of color, people of different sexualities until these past few years. So I think it's so important that now we're being, bringing to the forefront of society these things that are so important to recognize that there's not one type of person who exists. There's many. And I love that you're able to put these different types of characters in your novels, that you have people from different backgrounds, people who speak different dialects of language, like all of that is so important to incorporate. And I love that you're doing that. Thank you. The next question I wanted to ask you was, is there something you feel that you have learned about yourself throughout writing these books, something new that you've taken in? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think I've had, if I'm really honest, um, I've had to reckon with a lot of pain 
that I didn't know I had um, as I, you know, as I was doing the research and writing these stories. Um, again, you don't, like I set out to write this cool, magical YA fantasy because that's what I like to read, but I didn't realize that I was going to end up, you know, unpacking a lot of things from my childhood and the world around me that had bothered me that I hadn't thought about before, you know? So I always knew that my ancestors were enslaved people and it was a sad thing, but it wasn't until I was having to do the research that I realized how removed I was from my ancestors. And I have friends who can trace their family back to when they came to America. And sometimes in some cases they can speak the language that their ancestors spoke. They can go back to the town or the region where their family lived. And I had never like, I, it's like I knew that I was removed, but when I was doing the research, I was thinking to myself, at one point, you know, my ancestors just knew this. I would have been able to ask them, you know, like the, the, the way I think about it now is, you know, for you and I, we have family recipes, right? We have things like traditions in our family that we just do. And it would be like, imagine generations from now having a family member, your own flesh and blood, who has no clue how to speak English, no clue how to make that like family recipe that you've passed down because it's been taken away. Um, and there was a lot of sadness that I hadn't reckoned with that I had to reckon with. But as I kind of faced that grief and that sadness, I also developed a new joy and celebration and pride in my heritage that as a kid, I hadn't really had because I wasn't um, in the outside world. I wasn't really taught to be proud of my heritage. So um, that's been a really cool, a cool kind of part of my personal journey as I've written these books. That's such an incredible answer to the question I asked. I was so interested to hear what you would say. And I think to hear about how you were not only writing this story that was important to you, but also, you know, learning about your history, learning about the people who contributed to generations and generations that have made you who you are today. I find that so intriguing that that's now something that's come back to you and something that you're able to bring back into the world and share what you've learned about your family members. That's really neat. The next thing I wanted to ask you after the trilogy ends, because I know you have the third book in the Beasts of Prey series that will come out. Do you plan to take like an entirely new path or are you potentially considering creating a new story in the same world like what Lee Bardugo did with Shadow and Bone and Six of Crows? Oh, okay. Um, so I thought about both styles, you know, building a universe and writing different stories within um, one world or branching out. And I, have, I haven't decided yet. It's something that I've been talking with my literary agent with quite a lot. Um, there, I have stories kind of in my ideas folder for both options. Um, and I've been like, you know, in addition to writing these to pray three, what I've spent a lot of this summer and what I'll probably spend this fall doing is, is really like trying to outline and think about which stories have the most meat, um, and go from there. But I, I haven't decided yet. I, I truly could see myself going in either direction. And on the one hand, I'm comfortable in the Beast to Pray universe and I know it really well, but I've also been writing in it since I was 22 and I'm now 29. And so part of me, you know, was, was certainly interested in, you know, trying something new and getting out of my comfort zone. That's fair. And I think, you know, you have this amazing sense of creativity. I mean, your world building is unbelievable. When I read the other reviews of your books, people always talk about how amazing you are 
at giving flesh to the story and adding so many intricate details. So I feel like regardless of which way you go, your stories will be successful. And then regarding Beast of Prey 3, you mentioned that you've been working on it. You released Beast of Prey and Beast of Ruin about a year apart. How long from now are you potentially hoping to release Beast of Prey 3? So not I, I won't do it as quickly as I've done <laughs> Prey and Ruin. Um, typically, books come out out like roughly a year apart on a normal publishing schedule, sometimes a little bit more. These books came out 10 months apart, um, which is just very, very, very fast for such big books. Um, and I'll be honest, like it took a lot out of me to do that. And I want to make sure that I'm respecting my, my body and my mental health. So I'm probably, I would expect Beasts of Prey 3 to come out next, maybe next fall or early, even early 2024, depending on if I finish it this fall um but I'm really um I want to do right by the end of the story and do right by the characters and also make sure I don't burn myself out um because I want to keep writing for the rest of my life you know right I think that's a totally fair answer on both sides of what you're saying when you release or announced that you were releasing Beast of Ruin I was so excited because it was like you said 10 months apart like that's a very close publishing time from the first book. And so I was so excited because, I, you know, I felt like the first book was still so fresh in my mind. I knew the details. I knew what I wanted to read about. I was so excited, you know, because you, you are the queen of cliffhangers and leaving us wanting more. So I was so ready for book two. Um, so I figured, you know, like you said, there is probably some burnout that comes with writing a book so fast I know like keeping up with you through social media you talked about how you were getting in your drafts getting in your edits and you know it seemed like you were going so fast which is amazing and obviously what the readers want but also like you're saying I can see how that would be difficult for you to do over an extended amount of time so until book three comes out I will certainly be looking forward to what happens and how the story ends because I have to tell you I loved book two. I was so interested to see where you would take the story. And you literally blew my expectations out of the water. Like, I don't know what I was expecting, but you far exceeded whatever that was. It was so good. I loved bringing back the old characters, bringing in all the new characters. I liked the Mistwood. I liked literally everything about it was so fantastic and so creative. It was a phenomenal book. Thank you so much. It's still, I'm still at a place where it's too close for me to like, look at it. If you know what I mean? No, that's like fair. after you've written over like so many times. So I've not been able to look at it without being really like hard, very critical of myself, but that is so nice of you to say. And I'm really glad that you enjoyed it. I literally, I got into bed last night and I was only 30% through the book and I finished it in two and a half hours because I was so obsessed. Like it is truly so good. You should be so proud of yourself, regardless of what anyone says. I mean, you should feel so good about the fact that you've created this amazing book. Thank you. In two hours, I'm so impressed. You're fast. When I get into <laughs> a book, I go fast. I am like, I need to know what happens. I need to know what happens. And you also put so many interesting things happening at once. I mean, like between what was going on with Econ and what was going on with Kofi and then like how they wanted to you know come back together and so you have these like dual POVs but then eventually they're reunited like I was so excited and I was like please please let's go let's go let's go it was so good thank you so much
I appreciate it. Um, so those are the main questions regarding, you know, your writing process that I wanted to ask you. So I have a few kind of bookish questions left and then one mm -hmm. just kind of like final question. So what is your favorite book that you've read recently? Oh, gosh. Um, so... I recently, okay, I'll do books from this year. I read, um, I just finished listening to A Game of Thrones. So the first book in the Song of Ice and Fire series. I was a big fan of the TV show, but I had never, for whatever reason, read the books. And it was really, it was really fun. Like as a long-term fantasy person who just loves magic and big sweeping world. First book is about this girl who is a thief pretending to be a rich girl who steals from the rich. And eventually she upsets one of the gods who places a curse on her and says, like, you're basically going to turn into the jewels that you've been stealing if you don't figure out how to break the curse. Um, and, and along the way, there's a detective that's like on hot on her tail um, that's trying to like bring her down. But he they kind of end up like having an enemies to lovers sort of uh dynamic which is my favorite thing in YA fantasy I love it and then it's so satisfying and I have figured out that I have like a favorite YA fantasy character type for male leads and it's like the nerdy the nerdy boy <laughs> who Fair. like goes on a big adventure so like like Milo Thatch from Atlantis uh like those kinds of boys who are just super nerdy and like like love their books but end up having to go on some big adventure so it's that kind of boy with this girl who's like very um like she's a, she's a thief she's really cunning she's really like witty and smart and their dynamic is so funny it's a really funny book but then also hits some really strong emotional chords because this is a girl who was abandoned as a small child and she has traumas associated with that um, and so that's Little Thieves. And then the second book, Painted Devils, um, is kind of the continuation of of the adventures from book one. And it's so good, like so, so good. As a writer, I studied that book and like want to learn from that book. Um, and then, so that's like books, I'm, books I've read this year that I really loved. It is literally impossible, Kate, for me to pick favorite book of all time. So... I'm just going to pick my one of my favorites in YA fantasy. And that's, you know, the the genre that I write in. I really enjoyed um, Sorcery of Thorns by Margaret Rogerson. It is a standalone and it is about a girl who's basically a warrior librarian. She works at a library where the books can come to life and it's her job to guard them. And she gets accused of doing something very awful and ends up having to team up with a sorcerer and in her world sorcerers are totally evil um but she ends up having to having to team up with a sorcerer named nathaniel thorne to prove her innocence um so it's it's just really magical and fun and and just lovely so favorite reads that sounds amazing i wow 10 out of 10 i need to read all of the books that you just mentioned because they sound incredible so I'm adding those to my TBR, which is never ending. So I yep. will try to read them very soon. And also to be fair, I, yeah. I never answer the what is your favorite book of all time question either. I don't know the answer. I There are too many good ones. It changes all the time, but 
those two, those, those three are, are all really, really good. Well, thank you for sharing those. Um, my last few questions, which author have you fangirled the most over meeting fangirl being in like quotation marks, but like, who have you been most excited to meet? Oh, yeah. Um, oh gosh. Well, I've not met her in person, but I, um, and have ended up kind of, um, getting to chat with and befriend Seba Tahir, oh, who, cool. um, she's, she's just so cool, man. Like she's such a good writer. I remember reading her books and wishing I could write as well as she does. Um, so it was really, we have not met in person, but we've gotten to talk. We have the same publisher and um, even getting to talk with her is kind of surreal. Cause I went from being a total fan to being like, now we're colleagues. Um, so yeah. yeah, I still have a few on my list who I've not gotten to officially meet who I hope someday to meet. So first of all, it's wildly cool that you met Saba to hear. And second of all, I hope you get to meet in person because that would be awesome but so cool that you've gotten to chat with her and that she's now a colleague I mean that's amazing yeah yeah very surreal (laughs) following that which author and this could be the same answer do you look up to most within the fantasy genre um I will you know I think a lot of people at this point really look up to Leigh Bardugo she's she's just done so so well with her books and her series and she's jumped into adult now and done very well in that space um so of course you know authors like Lee but one of my favorite authors who I admire as both a person and as a writer is Roshni Chokshi um in in addition to just being like stylish at all times hilarious incredibly intelligent that girl can write like even her texts are just poetic and I've yelled at her about it (laughs) um she writes she writes middle grade she writes young adult she writes adult you know her adult debut is coming out really soon um and she's also just immensely kind despite her success she is incredibly kind incredibly generous and my hope is to be like that um because especially as you get more and more successful I think some people are not don't remain as nice and as as kind and and generous to newcomers so um I really look up to Roshni that is a really great answer. And I'm sure Roshni appreciates what you're saying. And, you know, I think that's always, no matter how successful you've been in your career, to hear someone give you those type of accolades is really so cool. To culminate kind of this whole interview with a final question, I wanted to ask, what is the thing you most hope that your readers take away from your books? Oh, um, I'm always happy when readers find themselves in a story when there's a piece of a reader that maybe they felt like nobody else could understand and then they see it in a character. That always feels really good. Um, at, at its heart, this is a story about kids running away from their monsters. They're they're trying to find a monster, but they're running away from their monsters as well. Um, and what they both learn, Kofi and Ekon learn, is your monsters only go away once you face them. Um, and I hope that reading about these two kids, you know, on this magical adventure and face their monsters inspires people of all ages to face their monsters, no matter how scary they are, and to lean on their friends and family and loved ones in those moments when it is it seems too scary or too difficult or too stressful to face their monsters. So I think I think that's the overarching kind of theme theme in that in that book, or in really all of my books. I love that answer so much. And I also think that actually reminds me one of my 
favorite scenes in Beasts of Ruin without, I don't think this is giving any spoilers, but when Kofi goes to use this splendor and she's not able to really use it until she acknowledges her emotions, what she feels, I thought that was such a real moment that connected to so many people, but really connected to me that like, you really can't succeed. You can't move forward without acknowledging the things that have happened to you without acknowledging the things that you feel. And so, you know, that was a really beautiful scene for me to take in personally. Yay. Thank you. And that's, that was the whole, that was the hope. Um, emotional intelligence is something that took me a longer time to learn about. Um, but it's true. When you acknowledge your feelings, you, you can't function to me, you can't function at your best until you've acknowledged how you feel, whether it's good or bad. Um, and when you do, it's so freeing to just be be honest and acknowledge yourself and respect yourself in that way. So I'm I'm so glad that that you understood that moment and resonated with it. Well, thank you so much for including it because it truly was just an incredible thing to include in the book. And I'm sure for so many other people who've been through different things, that moment will stand out to them as well. I hope so. It, it, you feel less alone. This is why I love books because you feel less alone when you read these stories. I do definitely agree with that. I feel like, you know, across the many books that people will read, you find the characters and the moments that you resonate with, and it helps you feel a little less alone. And you know that there are people who have gone through the same things that you have. Yeah, exactly. Well, that wraps up the interview. Thank you so much once again for doing this. I really am so grateful that you were able to share a piece of your time with me considering how busy you are with tour and with the you know recent release of your book so everyone who's listening go read beasts of ruin if you haven't already read beasts of prey and thank you ayana for joining me today thank you so so much kate um for having me and for being so flexible as i like floundered around thank you again for doing this of course have a good rest of your summer you too